Tortoise. Hello, I'm Claudia and this is The Sense Maker from Tortoise. One story every day to make sense of the world. And before we begin, this episode contains anti-Semitic language. Today, for almost 20 years, British governments on both the left and the right have tried and failed to ban the Islamist group Hizbut Tahrir. Then, last Friday, it was made a criminal offence to support or belong to the group. But with the organisation likely to appeal the ban, can the government really make it stick? That's after a short break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Last November, while peaceful pro-Palestinian marchers walked through London, the Islamist group Hizbut Tahrir organised its own, much smaller rallies. At the Hizbut Tahrir rallies, there were chants of jihad, as well as calls for death to non-believers and death to Jews. Calls for jihad on our streets are not only a threat to the Jewish community, but to our democratic values. The Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, raised the issue in Parliament. We expect the police to take all necessary action to tackle extremism head on. And the head of London's Metropolitan Police, Sir Mark Rowley, was summoned to explain why no one had been arrested. At the time, Scotland Yard pointed out that the word jihad has a number of different interpretations. And while it can mean holy war, the literal and ordinary meaning of it is struggle or effort. We can't enforce taste or decency, but we can enforce the law. The law that we've designed around hate crime and terrorism over recent decades hasn't taken full account of the ability of extremist groups to steer around those laws And those lines probably need redrawing. Both Labour and Conservative governments have tried and failed to ban Hizbut Tahrir in the past. But its response to Hamas's attack on Israel brought it back into focus. And now, inviting support for and displaying symbols of Hizbut Tahrir in public is a criminal offence. When I was 15, I ended up joining Hizbut Tahrir and I ended up leaving the organisation after being on its national leadership. These days, Rashad Ali works at the Institute for Strategic Dialogue as a resident senior fellow studying extremism. But back when he was a teenager, his but Tahrir had taken over his life. It's more important than your careers, it's more important than your university education, it's more important than um, your families. So in that sense, it's, it's very cult-like. Hizbut Tahrir started in the 1950s in Jerusalem as a revolutionary political group. It had one main aim, the establishment of a unified Islamic state ruled over by one man, a caliph. Rashad says that, on the surface, the message felt quite positive. 
We're going to remove the influence of capitalism, which is exploiting all our resources. We're going to replace it with a genuine and sincere leadership that uses the massive military capacity, the economic resources, the natural talent of 50-odd Muslim countries to create a singular global Muslim state. That would stop genocides happening. That would stop occupations. That would provide economic resources for everybody. It's a utopia, and I think that it is actually the power of the court. In its early years, Hizbut Tahrir was involved in several coup attempts, but by the late 80s, it had adopted a strictly non-violent stance. Still, the organisation's stated aim is to encourage the overthrow of governments around the world. They don't believe in the legitimacy of any country. They believe that no diplomatic relations can happen with any Muslim country. You can only take them by force, which means coups and warfare. And they will say things like, even if that means millions of Muslims are killed, they're happy to do so. So you realise the other side of this is dark and the other side of this is totalitarian. At its peak, more than 10,000 people would attend Hizbut Tahrir conferences in the Wembley Arena. These days in Britain, their following is much smaller and amounts to only around 1,000 individuals. The group has been banned in countries including Germany, Bangladesh and Indonesia. But British governments who tried to curb it previously have been advised it didn't meet the legal criteria because of the organisation's non-violent stance. That was until late last year, when the Palestinian branch of Hizbut Tahrir issued a statement welcoming the 7th of October Hamas attack on Israel. And that display of anti-Semitism gave the government what it needed to ban the group for inciting and glorifying terrorism. But that may not be the end of the story. We'll have more after the break. Hello, I'm Jeevan Varsaga. I'm climate editor at Tortoise and host of a new podcast called Counter Crisis from the Centre for Disaster Protection, a UK government-funded international organisation which works to change how the world plans and pays for disasters. If you follow the news, you'll know that more people than ever are in need of humanitarian assistance. War and climate change are affecting millions, but the solutions haven't really kept pace. Finance is key. We saw during the pandemic that the countries that found it easiest to borrow money were the most able to respond, and not the countries that were the most affected. Across three episodes covering disasters, the losses caused by climate change, and our response to disease outbreaks, I'm going to try and make sense of this. Why are the current ways we respond to crises inadequate? And how can we do better? I'll be speaking to experts to rethink the recovery from crisis and find out why pre-arranged finance can help get aid where it's needed. You can listen now. Search for Counter Crisis wherever you get your podcasts. Follow the feed to make sure you don't miss an episode. Hizbut Tahrir plans to challenge the ban in the courts. It's likely to argue that the Palestinian branch of the organisation and any statements it makes are separate to and don't represent the UK wing. That may not wash with the judges, especially given recent comments by senior members of the organisation in Britain. The actions of brave Mujahideen who have been trying to resist this brutal 75-year occupation. This is one of its leaders, Abdul Wahid. They gave the enemy a punch on the nose. 
all right? And, and it's a very welcome punch on the nose from mm. the perspective of the Muslim Ummah. Other British members of the group have made anti-Semitic comments and described the October the 7th massacre of more than a thousand Israelis as, quote, good news, and quote, egg on the face of the Jewish state. But even if Hizbut Tahrir loses the legal battle, individual members may regroup, which is what's happened in Germany. And so they do do activities, but just not under the name Hizbut Tahrir. And they have all sorts of other front names. And so we may end up in a kind of whack-a-mole um, banning different front groups. That's a possibility. Whatever happens, on this occasion at least, Britain's intolerance of intolerance has been articulated in law. Thank you for listening to The Sensemaker from Tortoise. This episode was written by Chloe Hadjimatheu and mixed by Patricia Clark. Tortoise. Hello, I'm Jeevan Varsaga. I'm climate editor at Tortoise and host of a new podcast called Counter Crisis from the Centre for Disaster Protection a UK government-funded international organisation which works to change how the world plans and pays for disasters. If you follow the news, you'll know that more people than ever are in need of humanitarian assistance. War and climate change are affecting millions, but the solutions haven't really kept pace. Finance is key. We saw during the pandemic that the countries that found it easiest to borrow money were the most able to respond, and not the countries that were the most affected. Across three episodes covering disasters, the losses caused by climate change and our response to disease outbreaks, I'm going to try and make sense of this. Why are the current ways we respond to crises inadequate and how can we do better? I'll be speaking to experts to rethink the recovery from crisis and find out why pre-arranged finance can help get aid where it's needed. You can listen now. Search for Counter Crisis wherever you get your podcasts. Follow the feed to make sure you don't miss an episode. Mm-hmm.